We're in a series called At The Movies, and we just take some movie clips to kind of intro or get us started in a particular theme or, or place we want to go. And this morning, Lincoln, I love movies about America. I love one of my all-time favorites, The Patriot. You remember back in 2000? Can you believe it was 16 years ago, but Mel Gibson uh, rose up and started. It was just a great movie. And then I love Lincoln. I love I loved the man he was. I love the cur... I don't know what people, what you think about America, but I still think it's the greatest nation in the world. I'd rather live here than anywhere else. And I think that is being proven as people are coming here on a regular basis to find freedom and to pursue happiness and, and to have uh, the right to life. And, and uh, so we are in a, in a different place in our society and our culture than we've ever been, but it's still a great nation and it's still a great land. And my hope is that we'll be a part of preserving that that we will use our voice and that we will use the political process to, to make a difference. And, 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 and uh, Lincoln led our nation through a very tumultuous time. It was at the, at the, really at the peak of the Civil War. And, and, with, and he came in with his courage, with his ability to communicate a vision, a, a picture of a clear future. He rallied the leaders, he rallied the people, and, and he was able to abolish slavery and set us on a course for equality for all. And, and, and we might still have some room to go, but, but just a great, and I encourage you, it was in 2014, great movie to watch. But why did I even show that? Because I think we are in another crucial point in our nation. I think Tuesday is a very, very big deal. And you say, no, it's not. It's got like these jokers that are running for president and how can it be a big deal? And I'm gonna tell you why it's a big deal. But first, you gotta know that God is in control. God is on the throne. You, 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 before you, before, in here, let me just share with you in scripture, because that's where we like to start. We, we believe the Bible is the, is the roadmap and the playbook for our lives. So we always go to the word of God. What does the word of God say? Not what does Pastor Stans think? Not what does our elders believe? What does the word of God say? I am the Lord, there is no other God. I prepare you, even though you don't know me, so all the world from the east to the west will know there is no other God. I am the Lord and there is no other. I, I'm not going to compete with another God. I'm not. You, you, there is no. I'm God. I'm Jehovah God. I'm Elohim. If you, if you didn't get that, then Isaiah repeats it. He says, do not forget the things I've done throughout history. For I am God. I alone. I am God and there is no one else like me. I, when I get stressed, I get this pain right there in my neck. It's right really in my shoulder blade. And it's like a hot knife. Anytime I'm under tension or stress or I got a lot weighing on me or thing, I just get this pain. And I mean, it's, 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 it's pretty significant and it can really intensify, not debilitating, nothing like that, but it's just, it's just really painful. And I, I was on a walk with Angie not long ago. It was a beautiful evening. Micah was on his bike in front of us, one beside us asking us a million thousand questions, which stresses me out anyway, but was in front of us, and, and you see how easily stressed I am. It was in front of us, and we're just enjoying the night. There's great conversation. We're enjoying one another, and my neck starts hurt. It's like a knife is stuck in my neck, and I mention it to Ange and go, what, well, you know, I don't know. There's no reason for this. I don't feel any stress. I, I'm not under anything. I think everything is fine. Not till I got back home and realized it was the night of the third presidential debate, and I'm like, oh, that's why the, the pain and the, and the hot heat and the stress. I don't know about you, but I'm ready for this thing to be over. 
It just, it just stresses me out. But if I'm not careful, I forget that God's in control. I have to remind myself that Wednesday morning the sun's going to come up. Doesn't matter who's in the White House. God's still on the throne of glory. That, that he's still in control. And, and there's, a, there's a story in the book of Habakkuk. where Habakkuk was a prophet of God. Wanted the best for his nation, Israel. And so they were in a bad place spiritually. They, they had rebelled against God. They had married. They'd intermarried with other cultures and other religions. And they were just really going down the wrong road and they were going fast. And, and Habakkuk says, God, will you revive our nation? Will you send revival? Will you, will, you, will you withhold your judgment and give us mercy one more time? I just want to see my land. I want to see your people turn back to God. And God said, you know what, Habakkuk, I'm going to answer that prayer. And in fact, I'm going to use the Babylonians to, to achieve it. And that, that's so far outside of Habakkuk's theology because the Babylonians were worse than the Israelites. They were the most evil, cruel, wicked, uh, anti-God, really demonic group of people that were on the face of the earth during that time. And so Habakkuk says, you're going to do what? You're going to use an evil group of people to judge a, another evil group of people? God, that doesn't even make sense. And God's response was, Habakkuk, you, you don't know the end of the story you, you don't know everything. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your, your thoughts. I, here, Habakkuk, you just got to know this. I'm still on the throne. I'm sovereign. That means I can do whatever I choose to do, whenever I choose to do it, however I choose to do it. I've not left you. I've not forsaken you. In fact, I'm working for you, and you just got to trust me. And Habakkuk came to this conclusion. Though the fig tree does not bud... And there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Everything is going south. Everything is going bad. Habakkuk says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. I, I've got to continually remind myself, regardless of the situation, I've got a good God that's for me and not against me. He's involved in every issue that I'm dealing with. He loves our nation. He loves people. He's not willing that any should perish. And regardless of what it looks like, I'm going to rejoice in him. I'm going to count it all joy. It's not going to deter me from loving him or serving him or honoring him. In fact, I'm going to dig in deeper. I'm going to have more allegiance and more devotion to my king. See here, here's the deal. Some of us are so stressed out and worked up and and our blood pressure skyrocketing and, and we're mad and we're fearful and we're pessimistic. If we don't get the right person in office, it's, the world's going to come to an end. If the economy doesn't straighten out, we're going to hell. If, if we lose our religious freedom, it's the end of the world. If, if, if the right bills aren't passed and the right policies aren't put in place, it's going to all come unraveled. And I would say nothing could be farther from the truth. Government matters. Policy matters. Tuesday matters, but not nearly as much as men and women who have an unwavering faith in Almighty God, a conviction that God keeps His promises, and nothing can thwart the promises of God. We know it from the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament, that we have nothing to fear. We have to model for the next generation that God's in control that we trust Him, that we believe in Him, that we have not elevated a man or a woman or a system to be our Savior, that Jesus is our Savior, that God is our King, that the Holy Spirit is our leader. We're, here's, here's what people have spoken and said 
Some men and women of God, they prophesied that we're heading into our darkest days as a nation. And, and, and we're about to hit uh, things that we've not seen before. And I don't know. I'm not a prophet. Somebody said, oh, the son of a prophet. I'm just a, I'm just a preacher. But this is what the word of God says. It's in Moses. Uh, Moses was trying to deliver the people out of Israel. And, and God had given him these nine plagues. And the ninth plague was the plague of darkness. And it said, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward the sky so that darkness spreads over Egypt. I'm trying, God, I'm trying to convince the, the Pharaoh to let my people go. I'm trying to soften his heart. And so I've done a lot of stuff, God said, but this time I'm going to cause this heavy darkness to fall on the land. So Moses did what God told him to do, and total darkness covered all of Egypt for three days. No one could see anyone else or move about for three. You ever been in such darkness that was just heavy? I mean, you couldn't see your hand in your face. I mean, imagine for three days you couldn't do what you wanted to do, go where you wanted to go, say what you wanted to say. Total darkness in the Egyptians' homes. But this is where I want you to catch. Yet all the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. In the midst of darkness, God showed his light to his people. I, I, I'm in this world, but I'm not of this world. If I'll abide in him, then, then I will. Then the Bible says that, that he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I don't know if the world's about to experience darkness. All I know is I've got the light of Jesus, and I'm going to be lighted by his presence, and God's grace is going to be my light, and the light of his protection, and the light of his favor. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I'm clinging to that. I'm standing to that. Whatever might happen, God, you're in control, but I'm going to have the light of his grace permeating my life and my home and our church. So, so you got to know, you need not fear. God's in control, but we still have to do our part. Here, here, let me give you this verse, James chapter 2. Suppose a brother or sister without clothes or daily food if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? Paul, uh, James is talking about the difference between faith and works. So somebody comes up to you and they need help, and you just say, God bless them. You, you've not put any faith to your words, and therefore it's, it, it has no value in the same way. So, so James is saying there's many, this is just an illustration. There's many illustrations I could have made. This is the one I chose. I know you got to trust God and that the sun's going to come up on Wednesday. And, and no matter what, God's still in charge. But I still have to put some action in my faith. And I still got to do what I'm able to do. I've got to let my voice be heard. I've got to let my vote be counted. Because without, without faith accompanied by action, it is dead. And I don't want our faith to be dead. And here's the reality. There are 100 million evangelical Christians in the United States. That's what they say. Half of them are registered to vote. And only half of them vote. So 25% of all those who claim to be Christians are voting. And we never, we never have the opportunity to vote on a perfect candidate. In fact, we cast our vote for the better candidate. And in this case, we are going to cast our vote who, for the one who thinks will do the least damage to America. But yet a non-vote is a vote. And so what do you do? Well, you educate yourself. 
and you find out where they stand and what they're for and what they're against. And, and here's how you can know. Each party has a platform. At each of their conventions, every four years, they, they, they write up a platform. This is how we're going to govern. This is the policies we're going to pursue. This is what we're going to stand for. Nine out of ten Republicans will adhere to the platform. Seven out of ten Democrats. I only said that to say this, that what you get in the platform is usually what you get in the candidate. So the platform matters. So, so when you look at the platforms of, of each of the parties and each of the candidates that they stand on, there are several issues that I think are important, and some are a lot more important. Let me just start with the economy. We are $20 trillion in debt as a nation. I, I don't understand that number. 20 I, don't, I don't grasp that. I can't put my arms around it. I can't wrap my mind around it. I understand a million, I think. One million, two billion, three million, a hundred million. A, a, there are a thousand millions in a billion. So, again, I mean, these numbers are so out far of my intelligence and my understanding. There are a thousand billions in a trillion. And we are a trillion, we are 20 trillion dollars in debt as a nation. The debt has doubled in the last eight years, and it doubled the previous eight years. If it continues on the rate that it's going, in the, we'll, it, before long we'll be in $40,000 of debt. I, I know the politicians that are supposed to serve us would not leave a debt to their children. In no way, it's my desire to leave a legacy to my children. I'm not going to leave a pile of debt to my kids or my grandkids, but yet they are saying well, they're going to leave a pile of debt to my kids and my grandkids and your kids and your grandkids. The Bible says that the borrower is slave to the lender. There's going to come a time where that money is going to be asked for, and we're going to have to pay up. So I would look at the platform that is, has the best policies, policies to reduce and quit adding to the national debt. Tuesday's a big deal. But you, you got to know this too. And, and again, I'm not questioning anybody's intelligence. I'm just telling you, you know we're not a democracy. A democracy means power by the people. A democracy means that the majority can impede their rights and the minority. We are not a democracy. We are a republic that operates with democratic principles. We vote for leaders who are supposed to uphold the Constitution and who are, who are supposed to, to fight for what that... And, and I mean, the Constitution is a document that, again, has been around for 200-plus years and has been found to be the best document for a nation in any course of history has ever been founded on, are lived by, are tried to adhere to. It, it is a document that has been proven tried and true. And so we elect officials, and their job is to try to govern according to the Constitution. The, the problem is... We have some justices they, that have gone kind of, just kind of gone rogue, activist judges who are misinterpreting the Constitution and, and, and are even changing the Constitution. And, 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 it, and it just hadn't started. It's been in the works for several, several decades now. In 1980, a federal, and, and here's why this is important, because our president nominates judges and they are ratified by the Congress. So we, we nominate a president, he puts judges on the bench for life, and, and, and they rule in that, and they, they are supposed to uphold the Constitution. We, 
Very important, the Supreme Court is a court of nine members. One of the members has passed away. So right now there are current, there are eight current Supreme Court justices sitting on the bench. Three of them are 77 and older. In the next four to eight years, the next president will have the opportunity to, to, uh, to present to Congress four new Supreme Court justices, which is a, you just, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Here, here's how big of a deal it is. In 1980, a federal justice appointed by whoever was the president and, and whatever was going on, I don't even know when he was appointed, so I don't even know which president appointed him, but a president appointed him, a Congress confirmed him, and, and this is what he said. We cannot have the Ten Commandments in schools any longer. And this is why. Because if the Ten Commandments were to have any effect at all, it would be induced students to read them. And if they read them, they will meditate on them. And if they meditate on them, they will respect them and they will obey them. And that would be unconstitutional. A federal judge implied his will on the people, his interpretation of the Constitution, and made it a law. So after 1980, all the... Ten, uh, we don't want to hear, thou shalt not commit a mur murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit false witness. We don't want any of that because the kid might read it, believe it, and obey it, and that would be unconstitutional. Now, you want to know the father of the Constitution, James, uh, James Madison? He was in the room when it was written. You know what the intent of the Constitution and the... Per Here's what he said. We have staked the whole future of American civilization not upon the power of government. Far from it. We have staked the future of all our political institutions upon the capacity of mankind for self-government, upon the capacity of each and all of us to govern ourselves, to control ourselves, to sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments. That's the father of the Constitution. But we've had a, we've had a federal judge. That's why it's so, it's so important. Let me, in 2015, uh, a federal, the Supreme Court declared a constitutional, that, that homosexuals had a constitutional right by an activist judge who overturned 50 million Americans who voted against it. And most importantly, the divine order that God established between one man and one woman. There, our, our, our judicial system has a lot of power. And who's on those, who's on those benches and serving in those courthouses? They matter. You want judges that align themselves closely, are as close as you can get them to biblical principles and, and biblical values. This summer, there's a family called the Stowmans from Olympia, Washington. These are not made-up cases. These are documented cases. They, a federal judge in Washington told them that they, had, that they owned a pharmacy, that you have to sell this Plan B pill, that which induces an abortion. They said, we're not going to do that. We believe in the right to life. We're not going to participate, be part of, be in any, in any way involved in causing or creating or inducing an abortion. And a federal judge said, if you want to keep your shop open, if you want to do business in Washington, you're going to sell that drug. So they petitioned the Supreme Court of the United States to hear that case. The Supreme Court this summer refused to hear it. 
Three conservative judges said they would have heard it, but unfortunately they were in the minority. Justice Alito, maybe the most conservative judges, judge on the bench said, if this is the sign of how religious liberty claims will be treated in the years ahead, those who value religious freedom have great cause for concern. The Supreme Court will hear a, a girl who has self-identified as a boy from Gloucester, Virginia. A federal court has upheld her right to use a boy's bathroom and a boy's locker room because of how she self-identifies. And a Supreme Court will hear that case, and the result of that will be imposed on every state. It, it, it matters. Here's, here's what the First Amendment said. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. That means that, that they understood that we're not going to force any religion on our people. We're not going to root. That's what we're trying to break away from. That's what we're trying to get away from. We're not going to make a law respecting any one religion or one individual's desire. And, and, and this is where we get the from this. They, they try to say this thing, separation of church and state. That's nowhere in the docu, docu, uh, declaration. It's nowhere in the Constitution. It's a personal letter from Thomas Jefferson where he was trying to make a point. They've taken it out of context. Our founding fathers said, we're not going to force any religion on anybody, but we're not going to prohibit the exercise thereof. We're going to create a government where people can express their beliefs and adhere to the, to the values that they desire to do. Unfortunately, our religious freedom is under fire today. A Methodist church in New Jersey lost its tax-exempt status for refusing to allow two lesbians to have a same-sex marriage ceremony on their property. This is not a sermon about same-sex marriage. This is not a sermon about lesbians. This is not, they, they are not the enemy. I'm just saying, as a Methodist church, as an Assembly of God church, we ought to have the right to marry who we want to marry. I ought to be able to say that's what the Constitution had in mind. That if I, because of my personal religious convictions, if I don't think that's the way God ordained it and that's the way God set it up, that I'm not going to be a part of that. We're not going to open up our facility to that. This, this court in New Jersey said you have to do it. In fact, if you don't do it, we're taking your tax-exempt status. The California Supreme Court demanded that doctors say, oh, it's just going to affect the church. It's not going to affect me uh, individually. The California Supreme Court demanded that doctors with religious objectives to lesbian households must nonetheless assist lesbian women in conceiving a child. Again, it's not about the, it's about a conviction that those doctors held dear, their personal conviction that led, that a, that a parent of two moms is the not, not the best place for a kid to be raised. That's our conviction, but yet California is going to impose the judge's conviction not the individual conviction. A federal court judge ruled that when students ask the teacher cannot answer whose birthday is being celebrated on Christmas. The Third Circuit Court in, in New Jersey ruled that a high school coach cannot bow his head because the court doesn't want his posture to be misconstrued as prayer. Colin Kaepernick, he can refuse to stand during the national anthem. And those that, of us that oppose it, that don't think it's right, 
if he wants to protest, that's his right. And, and I don't think it's right. And that's my opinion. I, I, don't, I don't think he's doing right. I, but it doesn't matter. Forty years ago, my dad went to Vietnam and fought so that Calvin Kaepernick didn't have to stand near the national anthem. Six, seven years ago, my brother spent a year in Afghanistan to uphold our freedoms. If he don't want to stand for the national anthem, I don't like it. I think it's more divisive than united, but it doesn't matter. That's his right. But to tell me a coach can't get on his knee and bow his head because it might be misconstrued as a prayer, what is up with that? We have got to fight. We have got to, we have got to elect judges. George, George Washington. George Washington, on his farewell address, said nobody ought to claim to be a good citizen, a patriot who takes Christianity out of culture, who takes God out of government. Look at the platforms. One is very specific. The other has refused to talk about God and government. There's no platform. There's no policy. There's no, there's no outline of how they will embrace God, how they, how they will interact with religious freedoms. We need lawmakers. We need judges who will honor and respect and uphold the religious right. We, we, we vote for lawmakers. We vote for presidents. And they, they appoint, they ratify these judges that will sit on the bench for life. Tuesday matters. It matters. And faith without action is dead. But maybe the most, I don't, not maybe, the most important thing that matters in this election and every election, is the right to life. And I, I want to talk about abortion for a minute. And I, for, the next, for the next 20 minutes, I'm just going to ask you, and I love clapping, and I love amen, and I love that, but for the next, I'm not going to be 20 minutes, for the next few minutes, I just want you to listen. I, I, just, I just want you to, to kind of take it in. And I know it's a very sensitive subject, and I don't want to be insensitive. But we need to talk about it. And most Americans realize that in 1973, Roe v. Wade, America made a, we, we made a very bad decision, a very bad choice. Pro-lifers are often accused of obsessing over just the life issue and, and to the point where we don't care about other issues. And I would say that's okay if every issue was equal, but not all issues are equal. And the right to life is foundational. If you don't have the right to life, nothing else matters. It, the, the social justice, the equality, I mean everything. You, you take out the right to life. On, on the, here's, here's, here's what the Declaration of Independence says. We, all men are in due, that means given, by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That means rights that, that can't be taken away or, or can't be uh, denied. And we're not given those rights by the government and that's what our founders realized. We're given those rights by Almighty God. They're given by God and they can't be taken, taken away. They must be protected. Among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And the order matters because if you don't have life, you can't have liberty. And you can't, obviously, pursue happiness. Life is precious. Life is miraculous. Life is delicate. We were created by a loving God who makes every human being a unique life is foundational. It's fundamental. It's our God-given right. Yet, yet we kill. We end the, the life of 1.2 million American babies every year. 22% of all, of, of all babies are aborted. 
Since 1973, 59 million babies have been murdered in our country by abortion. And I, I often question and answer and ask, how can this be happening? Why are we even talking about this? Why are we debating this? Why is this div dividing our nation? Why are political platforms based on this? Why is this even a question and why do I have to preach on it? Because the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And he's deceived people into believing that it's okay to do a wrong if the wrong produces a wanted result. It's okay for a teenager to abort a baby because it's not right for a teenager to have to have a baby. It's okay to abort a, a, a baby from a single parent home because that mother doesn't need the undue stress or the undue, un, un, undue concern of trying to uh, raise that baby. In fact, if the statistics say if she has that baby, it's just going to end in poverty, so let's just abort the baby. Let's destroy the baby because it's hard on a family who needs to raise a special needs kid. Listen to me, it's never right to do wrong, regardless of the results. The Supreme Court of the United States has ruled that a child in its mother's womb does not have rights under the Constitution, that he or she is not a person. Their rationale is they cannot sustain life on their own. And my, my response to that is I have a six-year-old and he cannot sustain life on his own. If I'm not there to help him, if some life, if some adult is not there to come alongside him, he will not make it. Their, their argument is, well, they're undeveloped. Well, there's a lot of kids that are born undeveloped and we let them live. In fact, we have state government institutions that, that help them reach their full potential and rightfully so. Supreme, the, the courts have said, well, they have no utility. My response is, well, older people often use their... I, my grandfather, he was in his late 80s, and he got nighttimers where, where at night he was disoriented, and it slipped into dementia where more often than not he was disoriented. And then it went into full-blown Alzheimer's where he didn't know which end was up most of the time, who was vision and what was about. Has he lost his... Should we just kill him? What does God say about a baby in a mother's womb? And that's, that's where we ought to look. For you created me in my inmost being, the psalmist said. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from me, from you, when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be, I think. I think the womb matters. I think God sees great value in what's being accomplished and done in the mother's womb. Isaiah 44, 2. This is what the Lord says. He who made you, who formed you in the womb, I, the Lord, I'm the maker of all things. Jeremiah 1, 4, 5. Here's the context. Jeremiah is wrestling with his calling. Jeremiah is struggling with the, with the, the thing that God has told him to do. He's feeling inadequate. He's feeling insecure. He's feeling like, God, there's no way I can do this. And so God speaks to him and says, Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Jeremiah had a plan and a purpose in your life before you were ever conceived. And when you were in the womb, I set you apart. I gave you gift mixing, I, I, a gift mix. I gave you a personality. I, I gave you the abilities for everything you need. And I've appointed you as a prophet. 
You know what God is saying, Jeremiah, I knew you so long ago. I was involved in creating you. Pull up your britches. Get, get, get a little bit of courage in this thing. You can do this because I'm the one that created you. I'm the one that has given you everything you need to accomplish the calling that I put on your life. Job 31, 15, did not he who made me in the womb make them? Did not the same one form both of us within our mother's womb? Listen to me, O islands, and pay attention, you people from afar. The Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother. He named me. Luke 1, 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby, not the tissue, not the fetus, leaped. The baby leaped in her womb. Galatians 1.15, but when he who had set me apart before I was born, and he called me through his grace, the Supreme Court might have ruled that a baby is lost, a baby in its mother's womb has, has, has no ability to sustain life, or they have no value, or they're undeveloped, but the Word of God makes it very plain that it's a human, that it's a person, that it has value and worth, and if it's about choice, let the baby choose, because I'm confident they'll choose life. Confident they'll choose life. It boggles my mind that we fight for whales and turn our head to the unborn. That we love baby seals and we'll kill baby humans. Well, what about the case of incest and rape? Man, we don't want that to happen. Okay, the right for life people have said, we'll give you that. Because it's only 0.06%. Because of the trauma and what's going on inside of a woman, it does happen. But when it does, it's, it's very unlikely. It's very it's very, 0.06%. They argued that. The pro-lifers argued that with the leader of Planned Parenthood. Okay, we'll give you the 0.06%. You give us the other 99%. And they were unwilling to bend or give in because that would have cost them $700 million a year in this industry we called abortion. See, life matters. Life is foundational. You got to find out where the party stands, what the platform is. Here's one of the platforms. We assert the sanctity of human life and affirm that the unborn child has a fundamental right, an individual right to life, which cannot be infringed. We support a human life amendment to the Constitution and endorse legislation to make clear that the 14th Amendment's protection apply to an unborn child. We will not, we oppose using public revenues to promote or perform an abortion. Our fund organizations which perform or advocate it and will not fund or subsidize health care, which includes abortion coverage. It's very clear. It's very clear how they, how they have said they're going to govern. It's very clear on the policies that they are going to pursue. The other platform says that we will, we, they went from 39 weeks and now they said you could have an abortion up to 36 weeks in the mother's womb. We're going to use tax dollars. We're going to use your money, my money, to pay for abortions. We're going to force employees to pay for abortions. In fact, we're going to take, we're going to take public money. We're going to take tax dollar money, and we're going to use it to promote and propagate pro-choice legislation in democratic nations who have voted for pro-life. It's very, it's, it's, it, and here's the deal. Each human is unique. There's been only one Albert Einstein. One Martin Luther King Jr., one Thomas Edison. We may have aborted the person who, have, who could have come up with a cure for cancer. 
This morning we're going to baptize a young lady who's in our, in our grace home and, and where we, we are a part of taking in young girls that, 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 are, that need help, that, that have become pregnant and have found themselves in that situation. And see, we just don't want to talk about not aborting. We want to be a resource so that we, we don't just say choose life, where we choose life where we are an avenue and a resource to help young people are, are old alike in whatever stage to keep it. And I'm so proud of her. Uh, she's made a commitment to Christ, but I'm so proud that when that, that baby was conceived in her womb and she realized it, she chose life for that baby. And we're going to get that, see, that baby grow and develop and mature. And with God's help, we're going to see it fulfill its destiny and its purpose. And a cycle is going to be broke. And, and, the, and the joy of the Lord is going to be our strength. And good things are going to happen because one young lady chose life. Chose life. Here's a picture of a stillborn baby. 36 weeks. A mother and father that wanted a baby, loved the baby, cherished the baby. It came out premature. That is not a tissue. That is not a fetus. That's a baby. It's got two eyes, two ears. It's got hair on its head. It's a life. And it deserves a chance. It has rights. Tuesday matters. Listen to me, God's in control. Nothing can thwart the purposes and plan and the promises of God. But we still got to do our part. And I'm encouraging you, I'm challenging you, I'm exhorting you. Find out what's on, your, on the party's platform. Find out where they're standing, what they're, we got to, we need to, as, as believers in Jesus, we need to be voting for, for people that will stand for life that will stand for family as the Bible has, has identified as family, that will fight for religious freedoms. Let's trust God, but let's do our part. Amen, everybody? Amen. Amen. Bow your heads with me, will you? You know, I want to ask this question. I ask it a lot, but how do you need to respond? Holy Spirit, Speak to our hearts. Maybe some of us have got so discouraged with all that's going on, we've just decided not to vote. Lord, maybe that's not the answer. Holy Spirit, we invite you to, to take the word and help us to apply it, to hold it up like a mirror and see what needs to change. And you know, this is what I found. I can preach something and somebody can tell me later, this is how God spoke to me. And I'm like, how in the world did that happen? I'll tell you how, because God... Is a, he speaks collectively, but he speaks individually. And whatever he's speaking to your heart right now, why don't you just talk to him about it? And say, Lord, whatever it is, I want to change. I want to be transformed by your grace. I want, to, I want to align under your will, under your heart. God, I use your word as a mirror. Help me to make the necessary adjustments in my life. Whatever that means. Whatever that's about. Lord, we pray for our nation, and we thank God again for our founding fathers and, and for what this nation was founded on and was based on. And, and God, we've slid, but, but I'm encouraged because, God, you're on the, you're on the throne. You're good. You can, you can change it. There's no nation too far gone you can't change. There's no, there's no, there's no situation you can't be a part of. 
Lord, there's nothing too difficult for you. We believe that. We trust you in it. Lord, I pray you'd send renewal to your church. Lord, may the church begin to continue to be, become the light of the world. Lord, we want to be a city set on a hill. Lord, when the government can't answer our questions, when the government can't right our, our wrongs, I pray that people will turn to the church, they'll turn to the word, and they'll find the truth found in scripture. I pray for every church in this area that lives up the name of Jesus, that they'll experience renewal and revival like never before, oh God. May you awaken us and change us and transform us by your grace. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Pastor Andrew, come and lead us in this next part of the service.